Well, I love stories. I like to listen to other people tell their own tales. Um, Character-driven shows um, are my favorite, or just getting invested into a great storyline of a book. For me, my stories double as learning experiences for our kids. Uh, Most of them are nothing out of the ordinary, but I feel like their little brains can connect to that experience and understand that their mom was just like them, learning along the way. And I'm still learning through these stories. For me, I hold on to stories from memories so I can connect with others. It reminds me of precious moments, um, the hard ones too, the stories where I grew, and the stories where... I failed miserably. They remind me that I am human. I am not God. And through it all, he has redeemed me and he loves me recklessly. My story, all of our stories, they are definitely something to hold on to. We have been walking through some of Jesus' stories known as parables, and he was a master of simplifying the hardest concepts, using imagery and common points to connect to his listeners. And there were more than 300 prophecies written about Jesus hundreds of years before he was ever born. And Jesus, he fulfilled them with a 100% accurate rate. I can feel pretty good about that. Um, But in Psalm 78, it talks about how the Messiah, one day, he would speak in parables. And so Jesus went on to say in the book of Mark, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will tell them things that have been hidden and obscure since the very beginning of the world. So we're going to dig into some of those hidden and obscure things today. Jesus' parable that we're looking at went like something like this. Do you want me to tell you what the kingdom of God is like? It's like some yeast which a woman hid within a huge quantity of flour, and soon the whole batch of dough was rising. The parable of the leavened bread is in both uh, Matthew and Luke, and both authors, I feel like they shared the same love of bread as I did. Um, But most likely, they probably felt it was important to share because it uh, pertained to the kingdom of God. In this dialogue, Jesus, he's telling multiple parables right in a row, and he starts with, do you want me to tell you what the kingdom of God is like? And then says the same sentence soon after. While Jesus is truly perfect, I believe, I hope in my mind, I feel like he could get a little saucy at times. So I felt like he was maybe channeling Robert De Niro's famous line, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? And while that is the worst De Niro impression I'm sure you've ever heard, I think Jesus, he just wanted people to understand and hear his words. Do you want me to tell you what the kingdom of God is like? We spent some time talking about the kingdom of God last spring, and this morning, I'm only going to scratch the surface. Our daughter, Edie, she asked me a couple weeks ago, Mom, how is it that we're going to spend forever in heaven? And I said, Babe... That is something still as adults we can um, not understand. It's mind-boggling. Something that our human brains just can't comprehend. And maybe that is for the better. We don't have the ability to fully understand what God's plans are. But he did give us the ability to trust him. Many of you know one of Jesus' famous prayers that says this. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is in heaven, 
but it's also on earth with us as well. And we just get a taste of it here uh, because a part of it is in our hearts. We have the opportunity to experience that here. And when we have an opportunity uh, to have a relationship with him, we surrender our hearts to him, allowing us the opportunity to live forever in his kingdom. I think like God's kingdom is kind of like the opposite of our world, kind of like the upside down in Stranger Things, if you watch it, just without the Demogorgon, all right? Right before Jesus said this, the parable, um, the synagogue officials, they were trying to trick Jesus because he was healing a woman on the Sabbath, which was the day of rest. And Jesus was showing everybody, everybody that his will will always trump local and earthly power. It's hard for us to make sense of that because we have this political structure on earth and there is this kingdom mindset that is above us. It's not going to be a democracy when we get to heaven. We are not going to have a constitution that we're going to set into place. We're just going to follow his rules and him alone. And while that sounds like we are giving up our rights, he isn't a God that looks down at us from his throne in disdain. That's a great thing because he is a king that provides and he loves us. And we have this relationship with him. In 1992, there was a 17-year-old girl named Kara. She was working as a waitress at Drin's Colonial Restaurant in Ohio, and she had befriended a regular customer named Bill. He was an elderly guy, and he went daily to the restaurant for his meals and for some company because he had recently become a widower, and he had never had any children of his own. Kara had also lost her father when she was a child, and so over time, they became very close friends. Besides being his regular waitress, she helped him around the house and ran a couple errands for him. And Bill said, if he ever have kids, if he ever did have kids, they would be just like Kara. When Bill passed away, he had a picture of her next to his hospital bed, and he had rewritten his will with Kara as his primary heir. Because of Kara's kindness as his surrogate daughter, he left her with an inheritance of a half a million dollars. Just like Kara, we are God's surrogate children. And while that is a huge tip for a server, (laughs) our inheritance with God, if we choose to accept it, is far more valuable. He just wants us to come to him and realize the mess that we've made in our lives, that we are just tired. We are tired of trying to do this on our own, and that's That's why he went to the cross for us, to give us that inheritance into his kingdom because we cannot do this by ourselves. Once we do that, God sees us as whole and not broken and we are worthy. We are worthy to step foot in that kingdom that we will live forever with him. Experiencing his reign and his rule is beyond something we could ever comprehend on this earth. So with that big, beautiful thought of God's kingdom, Jesus tells us, it's like some yeast, which a woman hid within a huge quantity of flour. Soon the whole batch of dough was rising. Now when I first read that, I was like, okay. Those weren't my exact thoughts when I think of the kingdom of heaven and yeast. It doesn't seem like it matches up. So what does yeast have to do with the kingdom of God? Everyone listening to Jesus was kind of caught off guard, too, because during festival times when they would make bread, they never put yeast in it. 
So after a little bit of effort on my part, I think I've come up with three concepts, why I think Jesus chose it and how we can apply that to our lives. The first one is yeast is small and it's humble. Jesus uses this humble ingredient as his main focus, even though yeast is microscopic, only a little bit is needed. And many of the Jewish people thought that the coming Messiah was going to save the world. He was going to be this amazing, rich, powerful ruler. And who was Jesus? He was just a guy from down the road in Nazareth. He was a tradesman that lived a humble life. We've probably all made a recipe and forgotten the core ingredient. And if you've made bread without yeast, it's quite obvious. It comes out flat. With just a small amount of yeast, something great can happen from it. Uh, The other day, my son and I were heading back to the car, and I thought I saw, um, like, a large wood chip on the ground, but I looked a little bit closer, and it was a muddy, very dehydrated baby turtle. Now, mind you, we were on a blacktop in an industrial park, so I was really quite surprised by this, and I poured just a little bit of water on him from my bottle, and you know what? He moved. So I used a lifeline, and I texted the only person had any information about turtles, which was Shelby, who runs a sea turtle preserve in Nicaragua. And I realized it wasn't a sea turtle. I knew it. Um, I looked around, though, after she gave me some information. I looked around, and I saw a whole bunch of turtles all over the parking lot. Now, some of them had met their match from the heat or the underside of a tire, but I found two more turtles. And I poured a little bit of water on them, and they too moved. And at this moment, my son Reed, he suddenly burst into tears. And of course, I took a picture. Um, He he grabbed me, and he said, Mom, I'm not sad crying. I'm just so happy we saved them. And with that kind of reaction, you definitely know he's my son, right? (laughs) We had an empty bin in the car, and we put the turtles in with just a little bit of water, like Shelby suggested, and we um, took them home to rehydrate, just like any person, normal person, would do on a Tuesday night, right? Uh, So with a small amount of water, these three baby turtles became very active, and we were able to release Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Raphael happily into the pond behind our house uh, later on. So just like I poured that little bit of water onto those turtles, Jesus gives us all just a little bit of yeast into our lives. A little bit goes a long way, right? Inviting us to more. Jesus, he was being inclusive. He was handing out this open invitation to the kingdom of God for those that are willing to accept it something that religious leaders of that day didn't care for at all. He went to the small and the humble of the society, the fishermen, the lowly tax collectors, the prostitutes, those people that were never invited over to people's homes. Because of Jesus, they now all had the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. All of those people in the Bible, they probably never thought themselves of anything special. And society, they were just reaffirming that right alongside them. However, thousands of years later, who is it that we're reading their stories about? Those folks. And we read them over and over again in the Bible. Do you realize that God, he wants to use your story as ordinary or as tough as you think it may be? 
It may just start out as something humble and small, but the God I know, he knows exactly where our story is going to end up. So if God is going to start small with us, how are we choosing to start small in our own lives? And what does that look like? Maybe that is praying for the person that has hurt you deeply, allowing that hurt to heal in your heart first, just one step at a time. Maybe it's just reading a verse of the Bible and thinking about it consistently throughout the day and what that means to you at lunch, maybe before you go to bed. Or if you're like me, I love to hold on to control to a lot of things. And so we're just choosing to release that control over to him one day at a time. Those small, humbling steps lead us to more of the bigger picture that is for us down the road. Number two is yeast causes change. It causes growth and transformation, and the bread that is being formed would just be flour and water, but with the yeast, it becomes dough and it rises. Yeast forms little air pockets as it rises and changes the dough's character and has this lovely texture when baked. And if you haven't tried bread, you should, okay? When you have that relationship with God, we are causing ourselves and others to change. It's this transformation of our minds, our actions, and our souls. Changing our hearts and character, it's the God that works inside us. It causes a reaction. He wants us to rise up and lead lives that draw us closer to him and reflect him. An example from the Bible would be um, Saul. It's in Acts 9.1. It describes him as a fuming, raging, hateful man who wanted to kill every last one of the Lord's disciples. Sounds like somebody you'd want to call over for dinner, right? But Saul, he was this hardened man. And he had this experience with God, if you want to read about it, it's it's through chapter 9. However, in this instant, God forever changed and transformed Saul, and who, what we now know, as he renamed himself as Paul, the man who went to author the majority of the New Testament and guide the beginning of the Christian church. A raging, hateful man was transformed by God and allowed to rise up. Has God changed your heart? Or has he been tapping on it lately and you're just doing a really good job of ignoring him? The nature of yeast is to grow and change whatever it comes in contact with. And when his grace grows in our hearts, it slowly changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We are being formed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Without him in our life, the stress, the hurt, and the shame, it's just going to keep piling up. And this is our choice for us to rise up and to say, I've tried it my way, and I'm physically and emotionally choosing to change my life as best as I can to reflect yours. And he's just waiting for us um, to let him be a part of that. Number three is yeast is slow and it's hidden. And the parable talks about the yeast being hidden. It's this process that takes a lot of time. And it's something we cannot see, something it's really slow. And if you're like most Americans, we really could care less for slowness. So sometimes when I read over Jesus' life and his story, it's quiet at times. 
He just doesn't jump on the scene with all this swagger. I'm always wondering why he didn't fight back more. In a crowd, he would be able um, to just disappear, and then nobody would know where he went. I want to see more of that Jesus throwing around the temple tables. And his ministry, it didn't start till he was 30 and ended by the time he was 33. Those years prior, though, I think that God was preparing his heart and preparing him for what was to come in those three years of ministry that laid the faith for us. Sometimes the things done in quiet and silent and slow are sometimes better. Our youngest went to kindergarten this last week, which was bittersweet for us, but also a little exciting. All right, moms. All right. (laughs) Our jobs as parents, though, are far from over. But over the last five years, I've pretty much spent every day with our son, Reed. I've guided him, wiped noses, played Legos and Hot Wheels. I've held his hand. I've wiped his tears. And I will have to tell you that that first bus stop was a little hard. This little guy is growing up in front of our eyes, and we have been preparing him for school and preparing for him to go out in the world by himself. And just like that, a parent like God is, he prepares us. He prepares our heart, he prepares our soul and our minds. And you can probably look back at your life and see how God has prepared you and how he's grown you. His ultimate goal is for us is to rise up, to be an example of light in this dark world, and we just have to choose to show up for that bless. God's grace may not always be evident in our life, but sometimes we need to be prepared in order to accept it, to fully embrace his grace in our lives. So how do we live with a preparation mindset? with the hope of what is to come for us. For me, it's reminding myself of this verse when I am making my life more about me. Every time I step up here and talk to you, every time I have a hard conversation, I need to remind myself of Psalm 115.1 that says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but your name goes all the glory. Reminding that it needs to be less about me, and more about him. It's also speaking the truth, a biblical truth, to others we have a relationship, sharing God with them. The challenge I struggle with is not the relationship part. I love all my friends, but it's the part of sharing God with them. I have a hard time because I don't want to wreck the relationship or be labeled as the weirdo, which I already am. But when we do have that truth in our lives, It's a part of us, and it permeates us and the people around it and continues to spread and grow into others. At the end of our life, though, we're going to be able to see just how effective God was in using us to raise up others in the direction towards him. See, God, he doesn't give us all the details just yet. And that's why it's going to be so fun to see who's in heaven with us because our lives are going to have lasting impact. Helen Keller, she once said, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And that's true of all of us. But it is so true of our relationship with him, we can do so little on our own. God, together, 
He can take us to the unimaginable. He isn't done with you or me. He helps us rise up and walk along this life together with him.